this. Everything he said. The tomb. Every impossible detail. It's empty. I don't know him. And we stumble along our way. I said I don't know him! But if that day comes, may we remember has been found what has been defeated what has been forgiven what was once dead has new life once old has been made new. What was once finite has been made eternal. May we remember and follow the risen way. Christ is risen. And we celebrate that today, don't we? I don't know about you, but when I watch that story, the hair starts standing up on my neck. It is an incredible moment. And you can only imagine 2,000 years ago when that actually took place. Can you imagine the fruition of all the dreams of those disciples, those followers, who looked into that empty tomb and realized He's everything he said he was. And for you, he can change your life. This morning, we are going to be in Luke chapter 23, and I hope you've got your Bible, and we'll turn with me there. We'll be there in just a few moments. 
If you're a guest with us today, we want to say thanks for being us, for being here today, being with us and joining us and celebrating that risen Savior. We're so glad that you're here, and of course our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to think about Crosspoint being that church home. We are people who've surrendered to Jesus Christ to say, God, use us in your story how you see fit. We want to be a part of what you're doing in the world, uh, sharing that message of hope to all around us, and we ask you to join us in telling that wonderful, wonderful story. Uh, about a man, a God, who can and will forgive you, who can and will change your life. We're at the very end of a series where we've looked at stories from the upper room, and today we'll look at a story from the cross. And if we really peel back the layers, if we think about what we're called to do, imitating Jesus Christ, loving like him, being like him, imitating him, then your world can and will change. Jesus Christ will rock your world, I promise you that. I don't know about you, but uh, I've got some siblings. How many of us in here have siblings? Raise your hand. Most of us in here have siblings. How many of you are firstborn? Raise your hand. Okay, then we know the reality of what it means to be a child of, we're guinea pigs, right? (laughs) We're the firstborn. Everything's tried out on us. We're expected to toe the line, isn't that right? Uh, There is high expectation for those firstborn folks, and uh, we have to live life in the limelight. We're the only one. We can't blame it on anyone else in the house. It's us if it's wrong, you know, because we're the only ones around in that moment. We have to figure out life, and then all of a sudden, maybe sometimes you get uh, a brother or a sister along the way. You get that second born, and what do they get to look forward to? But all of your hand-me-downs, right? You get to wear all their clothes and play with all their toys, and uh, you might get away with a little bit more. Uh, And then if you're third-born, well, frankly, there's just not very many pictures of you because mom and dad are tired by then, right? (laughs) But as that first-born, you're you're expected to toe the line. There are some, some, uh, some penalties if you break the law, and there are more times than I care to count in my life when I have had some discipline come my way because I didn't follow those rules. There are moments in our life when we need forgiveness, when we've gone over the limit, when we've moved past the line, and we look back at the carnage, if you will, and we realize we need forgiveness. See, a lot of head shaking out there, a lot of smiles. You're, you're clicking with me this morning. I appreciate that. There are moments when you go over where you should have been. I'm thinking about a moment when uh, I was a very young boy, maybe five or six years of age. My dad was traveling to hold a gospel meeting, and we were traveling through Boonesboro, Kentucky, uh, the place where Daniel Boone used to live. And we stopped at a trading post. This was uh, before Google Maps and cell phones, etc. Dad needed to get his, his uh, whereabouts, and so he stopped at this trading post to see if the guy had a map to let him know where he was and then where he was going. And so I went in with Dad. Walked up to the counter, and it was a boy's dream in that place. I mean, there were tomahawks and muskets and coonskin caps. It was, oh, the slobber just started. I was excited. I remember going up to the counter, though, and that's where the gentleman that owned the store was behind the the cash register there, and Dad was asking him about uh, where he was at and where he was wanting to go. There was a map at the back of the store, but before they went back to the map, I noticed right away by the cash register there were some polished stones. And I don't know why those caught my eye, but I asked Dad if I could have some of those polished stones, and he immediately said no, as any good dad would do. No, that's the word they know. 
And then they trekked off to the back of the, the small room to look at the map on the wall. And while they were gone, his firstborn did a big no-no. He put his hand in that box, and he got a lot of those stones that he wanted and put them in his pocket. Well, we started down the road, and I was pretty proud of myself, but trying to be quiet about the whole matter. And we probably got about 20 miles down the road, so Dad tells me. And uh, I pulled those stones out of my pocket to take a look. And my brother, the middle child, the tattletale, sitting right beside me, he said, where did you get those? And I said, oh, back at that store. And uh, he was starting to pipe up a little bit, and I said, calm down, I'm going to give you some of those, right? So, so I gave him one, and I kept two. I gave him one, I kept two. After all, I did the work. I should get more of stones, right? My dad looks back and sees me handing these stones out. He says, where did you get those? And I said, back at the trading post. I'm a thief, but not a liar. He was livid, upset, turned that car around. We'd already had 20 miles down the road. We went back, and the whole way back, he's telling me that I'm going to be put in shackles. I'm going to be taken off to prison. It's going to be a long life for me, and it's not going to be a good time. I am in absolute tears because we're going back to the trading post. I'm going into the store, put the stones on the counter, and apologize to the man behind the counter. I'm waiting for the police to show up. I go in, and through the blubbering and the tears, and I'm so sorry, I put the stones on the counter and apologize. I needed forgiveness big time in the moment. And that store owner said, man, it took a big man to walk in here and do what you just did. So I'm going to give you the stones. I don't know what happened to the stones after that. (laughs) I'm sure I gave them all to my brother because I wanted nothing to do with them. But there are moments in our life where you and I need forgiveness. We've stepped over the line. It's time to look around and see who's going to put a hand on my shoulder, who's going to offer some condolences, who is going to say, you are forgiven. We look at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. And Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. So you're saying this seems to be contingent on my own salvation, whether or not I'm willing to forgive those around me that may have hurt me along the way. And according to Jesus' words, that seems to be in line with what he's called us to do and how he's called us to live a life that says, God, you are enough. You've done enough For me, I want to live with your DNA. I want to be a person that loves like you, that forgives like you, that lives like you. And so as we take a look at how Jesus has called us to live, we realize that Jesus forgives in our story today, and so we too are called to forgive those around us. Let's read our, our text today in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. Now, before we get to our text, I want to tell you where we're at in the story. Because Jesus has already been betrayed. He stands alone. All of his friends and family have left him. He he has failed at two different trials. He has been humiliated. He's been embarrassed. He's been hit and struck. He has been flogged. He's been made to carry his own instrument of execution through the city streets, out the gate, and to a a hill that's called Golgotha, outside Jerusalem. And we pick up in our story right there. 
verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his left and one on his right. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Well, prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Crucifixion was a terrible form of punishment. It was a terrible death penalty. It was a a death reserved for slaves and for common criminals. Most of us see a cross like this and we assume this is generally the posture of the cross, but truly it's more down to earth. It's shorter so that you're really face-to-face with those who are passing by on the road. They can actually stop and talk to you, spit in your face, slap you around if needed. After all, you're going to die anyway. Who cares what happens to you? The humiliation is deep, and you hang on the cross unclothed. There is a spike that's driven through your ankle bones. Your legs are bent, and then the spikes are driven through your wrists. And for many that hung on a cross, it took days to die. Most of the time, by asphyxiation, it became very difficult to breathe as fluids built up in the organs of your body. And you would push up on the spike that was in your ankles in order to catch a breath. We're told in Jesus' story, a very common, the Roman soldiers had a big iron bar. And if they wanted to hasten death, they simply walked around to all the crosses and broke the shin bones of those that were hanging on the cross. So they could not push up. So they would suffocate. They get to Jesus, of course, in our story, and he's already dead. And so they push a spear into his side just for good measure. It's a terrible way to die. You and I have had people do stuff to us before. We've been cut off in traffic or maybe lost a job to someone else who might, uh, we, we may have not thought was better qualified than us. Any number of things that we would have thought a slight. We may have held something against them, but imagine knowing who your killers are and watching them kill you. Not only that, but then gamble for all of your earthly possessions, what's left of them below you at the foot of the cross. And yet in our story in verse 34, Jesus says, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. This moment on the cross is where we get our English word excruciating. It means out of the cross, 
excruciating pain that we use sometimes. This is where it comes from. It's a moment in time where Jesus shows his humility and his love, how deep it actually goes for you and for me. They don't know what they're doing, and many times you and I don't know either. This is a challenging message today because in your life, if it hasn't already happened, it's coming. Someone is going to hurt you. Someone is going to not do right by you. Someone is going to take advantage of you. They're going to tell a lie about you. They're going to start a rumor falsely about you. It's unfortunate, but there are moments in our marriages where our spouse does the unspeakable and is unfaithful. Someone is going to mistreat you in your workplace. That non-stop talking person that gets on your last nerve, they're going to be in your carpool. There is a sibling that took something from you that's rightfully yours and you can't get it back. There's going to be a moment maybe where there is physical, emotional, or mental abuse from a mentor from a teacher, someone that you trusted in your life. There may even be moments in your life when you believe God has done something to you, to hurt you. And you and I have to answer this question. So, in our story, how in the world does Jesus forgive on that cross? How do we love people like that? How do I have the DNA of Jesus within me to look like Jesus? Two things this morning I'm going to give you, and the very first one is this, that the Bible calls for us to pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, beginning, He says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. And sometimes in our life, we turn around and we say, oh yeah, I'm going to pray for them all right. Pray that they drive off a cliff. Pray, Pray that their business goes defunct. Pray that they don't get paid on time, any number of things, because that tends to be sometimes our attitude as human beings. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back bigger. There's a DJ in Kansas City the boys and I would just laugh at all the time because her favorite little slogan was like that on the radio, and her comment was always, oh no, you didn't, Davo. (laughs) The idea that you didn't just do that to me because I'm fixing to come back to you even bigger. But that idea, that mentality, that type of heart is so counter to what Jesus Christ has called us to live. It's so different than the Jesus we see hanging on the cross who says, forgive them even though they're killing me, literally. And then Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Verse 43, 
Jesus says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You see, this would have been common in Jesus' day to understand. That's why there were 10 cities of refuge scattered throughout Israel. The common philosophy and the law said, if you poked my eye out legally, I could do the same to you. If you chipped my tooth, I could do the same to you. If you killed one of my family members, I could do the same to you. And so the cities of refuge were in place. So a person who accidentally did something like that could run to one of those cities and be safe. Jesus is saying, you've heard your whole life, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. But I say, turn the other cheek. I I say, pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. I mean, in your own life, did, has somebody hurt you? Pray for them by name. Has somebody misled you? Then pray for them by name. Has somebody mistreated you because of your skin color? Pray for them by name. If some unethical treatment happened in the workplace to you, pray for them by name. Did mom and dad somewhere along the way let you down? Pray for them by name. We're called to live a life where Jesus is enough for us. He's done enough for us, and I want to imitate him. I want to be like him, which calls us to be absolutely different than the world around us. To be a person who is full of love and compassion and mercy and grace. You see, attitudes tend to precede right action. How do we do that? It often takes a right attitude before you take the right action. Doing what God has called us to do many times moves us in the direction that God wants us to be, even though we may not be there just quite yet. If you're waiting for the right feeling to come along in your life when someone's hurt you, you may be waiting for a long, long time. Because human nature is to get them back. Several years ago, more than a decade, many years ago, I remember it was summertime, VBS at the first church I worked at in Ponca City, Oklahoma. I was dressed like Peter because I was going to tell a story to the kids in one of the classes. And I remember the secretary coming out saying that I had a phone call in the office and I went to the office and I could not even make out who was on the other end of the phone. The, the wailing and the crying and the sobbing was, I didn't even know who it was until finally someone else took the phone and it was my brother. My mother had been the first one. And my brother said, our dad is going to divorce our mom. And it was a dagger in the heart because I knew in that moment things would never be the same. My my dad did something that hurt me and I had to sift through that. It took a few years to work through that. I was unforgiving. I was unmerciful. I was not compassionate. In those years that preceded that phone call, if he wanted to talk to me, he called me. 
I never reached out. He was hurting like everybody else. And I had to do a lot of reading. I had to do a lot of meditation. I had to do a lot of praying. I did a lot of crying. And there was a lot of heartbreak during those moments following that phone call, the months and the years that passed. And what I realized as I moved through that moment in my life is that your prayers for others may or may not change them, but they will definitely change you. They will make you a different person. They will soften your heart. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, pray for those who hurt you. The second thing is forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive other people like you and I have been forgiven. And I think about the sin in my life and realize I have more than probably anyone. As Paul said, I'm the chief, chiefest of sinners. And Paul himself reminds us as, as people who follow Jesus Christ as disciples, as he writes to that church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul reminds us of who we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to look like, how we have the DNA of Jesus Christ within us. He goes on to say in verse 12, God chose you to be holy people he loves. You must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love. Paul spells out in just a few verses the type of virtue that we're to have, the type of character and nature of Christ that we are supposed to have. How do we forgive something that we don't feel like forgiving? We forgive it as we have been forgiven. How do we forgive something that seems and feels unforgivable as you and I have been forgiven? When I add up all the wrong that I've done against God Almighty, And realize that he has forgiven me. The only option that I have is to pass that forgiveness on to those around me. When I think about that it's my sin that nailed him to that tree. I was the one gambling for his clothes. I was the one striking with the hammer. That was me. And yet he looks down from that cross and he says, you are forgiven. In that moment, I realize that if I'm going to have the DNA of Jesus, I've got to pass that forgiveness on to those around me. You see, there are miracles on the other side of forgiveness. Miracles that you don't know exist unless you make the choice to look like Jesus. Those miracles can only be experienced when you make a decision to love, live, and be like Jesus. Those relationships can only be healed when you make that a point in your life. And at some point, you and I are going to be left with a choice. Do, do I move forward into the person God's called me to be? Do I, do I let go of that past? 
Do I keep reliving over and over and keep myself in that moment, or do I move forward? I have a choice to move forward or to hold a grudge, to say, I'm going to keep forgiveness right here. You don't get any. Which one are we going to pick? And so many times it is a family member that hurts us. And you should know that every family has one goofy member that no one really wants to be around at the holiday. But we allow bitterness so many times to grow in our hearts, don't we? We let it to take seed and take root, and it takes over our life. We are determined to be unhappy. We're determined to live a sour life, and we do that by lying awake at night and rehearsing the script that happened that put us in that place. You can't believe he did that or she did that. We write the script. If we had to do it over again, this is what we would say. This is what we would do. We dream about resolution that never comes and eat an entire packet of Tums and acids. We rehearse how this person has, has entered my life and now I will never be able to trust anyone again. And you allow them to ruin all your other relationships and friendships. Anne Lamont said, bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. You see, it's a choice on our part. Do I look like Jesus or do I hang on to the bitterness that's grown within me? We take it one day at a time, one moment at a time. And as soon as you've given control back to Jesus... And taking it from the one who's hurt, your life begins to change. Jesus changes lives. Jesus changes lives. Because you and I have forgiveness because of what he did on the cross, you and I get to look forward to something better than the world could ever offer. You and I get to live out a life in the beauty of who Jesus Christ truly is. And if you choose to forgive... It won't change your past, but it will significantly change your future. See, Jesus Christ changes our future. He changes the direction that we're going, the type of life we live, the script that we read each and every day. We don't take it from the enemy anymore. We don't take it from the world, but we look to Jesus Christ to say, Jesus, you are enough. You have done enough for me, and your blood cleanses me and washes me, so I'm letting go of the bitterness. I'm going to be the person you've called me to be. I want to look and be like Jesus. I want his DNA within me. Jesus Christ changes lives, and he can change yours this morning. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back to the stage at this time. Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And my guess is, knowing human beings like I do, we've all got some bitterness somewhere tucked away within us. And maybe right where you stand as we sing this next song, you can reconcile that within yourself and decide to move on. Maybe in your life, you just need a little extra nudge, a little extra push. And so I want to encourage you to go see one of our shepherds and let them pray for you. Let them pray over you, lay hands on you, talk about that resolution within you that you need to move past. Or maybe today you think, man, I've never had the power of the Holy Spirit living within me to do just that. 
I've never been baptized. And so today's the day, Easter Sunday, I'm going to be changed when I leave this place today. It's going to be a different life for me. Jesus Christ can make that happen. His Holy Spirit living within you can make that happen. I want to encourage you to think about the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave everything for you and for me. And the question this morning is, are you willing to give everything for him? Let's stand together and sing.